welcome to Drill to Detail, the podcast series about big data analytics, and I'm your host, Mark Whitman. I'm joined this week by someone who's actually a colleague I'm working alongside at a startup in London, who's, who's doing some rather interesting innovative work on Google Cloud Platform. So, Alex, welcome to the show, and why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Qubit and what Qubit does? Sure, thanks, Mark, for having me on. Great to be here. So I'm Alex Olivier. I'm a product manager at Qubit, responsible for our data processing architecture and the infrastructure. And Qubit itself has been around for about seven years now. And we've been uh, working with a number of clients to collect all their visitor data and behavior and use that to actually enable marketers to make the best decision, deliver the best customer experience for their customers. So give us an idea of some of the uh, the organizations and companies that use uh, Qubit technology. Yes, yeah, so we work across uh, loads of different ver- verticals um, to I- enable marketers to really deliver this kind of experience that they want. So names like John Lewis, Emirates Airlines, Netaporte, uh, Topshop, if you're looking at the fashion side of things, also in the kind of the gaming sector. So Ubisoft, uh, Labbricks and Skybet on the gaming side. And in the US, particularly uh, Spirit Airlines and Shiseido Group. So a different spread of verticals and clients of all different shapes and sizes um, use our platform. Okay, so so Alex, I mean, the reason I wanted you on the show, the reason I thought it would be interesting to talk to you was, so I've done some work with you guys and I'm in there now sort of doing some stuff alongside you. And and something that kind of really interested me was, I suppose, the scale of things that you're doing, um, the use of uh, cloud technology now, so in this case, kind of Google Cloud Platform and, and BigQuery, but particularly the kind of the route that you got to, to that. So um, as someone who came uh, into Qubit to do some work with you, who worked mainly on kind of on-premise projects and, and I suppose really with kind of more traditional Hadoop, um, something that really interested me was the various kind of, um, I suppose, stages you've gone through and iterations you've gone through to get to where you are now. And I thought it was a very interesting story about, I suppose, kind of the, the evolution of technology, working at scale, and, and really why you guys have gone to cloud, really, from on-premise. So I, tell us a bit about, really, how Qubit's platform um, started out, um, and, and what was the first kind of iteration of this, really, sort of several years ago? Yeah, so the core of thing we do, and if you kind of look back at our, our mission as a business, is we want to kind of put an end to these meaningless uh, customer experiences that uh, companies out there are delivering, which ultimately actually erode your uh, relationship with your customer. So the way we do this is actually through data. So we collect vast amounts of data, and we've gone through multiple iterations of our platform into what we call the Qubit Visitor Cloud, which is the, uh, the name for our data platform, the architecture. And this is kind of our, our source of truth. This is where all our data processing happens. And this has gone through many iterations over the years. So the very first cut, if you go back to you know, way back in 2010 it was now, um, we wanted to collect basic data around what people are doing on their website. So back then we were looking at uh, feedback data. So we put a simple message on our client's website saying, hey, how could we improve this customer experience or how can we, how can we improve this, this experience for you? And we collect very basic data at that point, such as views, session, entrance, impressions, transactions, and very importantly, uh, that, that qualitative feedback. So we've always focused on mixing the quantitative and the qualitative data. And back then, you know, traffic volumes were small. Also, the cloud was quite early on, even though it was only 2010, looking in retrospect. Um, so we launched on AWS at this point. So uh, we had a load of front-end servers, which would pick up the, the events as we collect, uh, collected them, and we wrote them off straight to a GCS bucket. Uh, sorry, an S3 bucket as it was in AWS world. And that data in S3 was then picked up and processed, and we had a load of analysts that were kind of churning through this data and trying to find insights to then uh, deliver back to our customers to then go and drive uh, marketing decisions within their businesses. And that that works quite quite early on, and but this was very back in the early, early days of cloud, so things like autoscaling didn't exist yet. <laughs> so we're actually in a position where we had to write our own autoscaling system for EC2 because Amazon didn't provide one at that time. So we were very early on 
in kind of the cloud space and we kind of went through iterations i'm sure we'll talk through in a minute uh, around bringing some of that on premise and using some other systems but the very first cut was a simple receiving service wrote off to s3 buckets so what was the latency like on uh, on that setup yeah, so the very first cut, it was batch. It was kind of a daily uh, batch. We received the data. We would sort of hide it away in S3 buckets, and then overnight we'd spin up load machines and process it and deliver it in a system that's actually usable for analysts uh, at that time. And this was kind of, as, as you said, kind of in the MapReduce um, sort of era. So we would take the process data overnight and then put it available for our analysts to go through. And 24 hours is great. You got some data. You had something to work on the next day. But as we were scaling out as a business, we signed brands like the Arcadia Group, so Topshop, Topman, those guys. Our traffic volumes kind of increased and increased and increased and increased. Um, and we needed to do something about it. So we went on to the next revision of our platforms. This was a couple of years later, sort of 2012, 2013 timeframe, where we started loading this data into Hadoop cluster. Um, but the way to get the data in there in the first place, we actually started running a load of storm topologies. So this was three, four years ago now. And when the data came into the platform, the first place it landed, it was into a Kafka queue. And then we had a load of storm topologies, which picked up and did some processing on the data. So the kind of process we're doing is we're picking up the almost raw click stream that we're collecting in, in browser from all our different clients. And we're processing it, we're cleaning it up, we're doing things like device categorization and browser categorization, we're doing geo lookups on the data and adding it to this, these pages it was back then um, to make the data more actionable, more useful for, for our analysts. Because it's great having loads of data, but if it's not structured and sane and, and kind of in a system that's usable, it's kind of pointless having it in the first place. And that end-to-end -end pipeline got us down from that 24-hour batches to about four hours end-to-end. Uh, -end. At this point, we had, you know, we were collecting data probably from about a thousand uh, different sites, um, but this was four years ago. So Back, back in uh, uh, 2012, 2013, we were on the storm, real-time streaming processing kind of wave of data processing was back then, and we were making data available kind of in the four, five, six-hour time frame. But you mentioned things like storm there, and I think storm is a, yeah. is, is a, is a technology that kind of almost, be, it almost came and went before people had a chance to understand what it Indeed. was. So tell us about storm and what did you do with it, and, and, and what problem did that solve, really, that, that you know, people might not be aware of now? Yeah. So there's a few things we were trying to deliver um, th through the technology we built at the time. And one of them was actually collecting these, these raw events, clickstream that are coming through and actually doing some work, doing some sort of cleanup, doing some merging of different events based on any time they happened or whether the page you they were on sort of compressing it. So that put on me using Storm, which is this uh, streaming sort of processing architecture and that, was, as you said, was uh, quite popular for a bit and has, has gone since, uh, kind of. Um, and we were using that open source package. We were running our infrastructure. So at this point, we moved from dedicated, uh, sorry, we moved from cloud instances in AWS, and we moved to having our own dedicated hardware in Ecolo. Um, and this is where we had, you know, petabytes and petabytes worth of, uh, this time, page data for all our clients. So what Storm is responsible for is collecting that, that fire hose from our front-end machines uh, that were sitting in AWS and funneling it down to our big, heavy bare metal servers running in a couple of data centers around the world and going through that, that raw event stream and actually making sense of it and structuring it, formatting it. And at that point, it was writing it off to a couple of places. So one of the first things we do is actually start aggregating data about the visitor. So it's great having raw clickstream, but ultimately, because we want to deliver a, a customer experience, we will need a record about the customer uh, or, about, or about the visitors on the page. So the first thing we did was actually aggregate up things like lifetime value, number of sessions, number of entrances, and what devices are on, things like this, and wrote it off to an HBase cluster. And what HBase is, it gives us very fast lookup times on keys that we're writing off, which allowed us to then back in browser 
uh, look up things like, okay, I see a visitor on site. I need to very quickly find what their lifetime value is. Go and grab that and use that back in the browser to make a decisioning around whether they should see uh, a particular experience or maybe they should receive a particular offer. And by using HBase, we were getting um, sort of sub 100 millisecond round trip times on that data. So not only were we doing large scale data processing, we're also then making that data available back out to the web for use in delivering experiences. So that's um, why we needed this kind of low latency streaming processing at that time. So we could update those visitor records as fast as possible as we can get the data coming in. So Cubic were quite big users of HBase in the past. And I've seen presentations and papers we've written in the past by part of the engineering team. So tell us what HBase did for the architecture before for you and how you used it and what it was like to work with it. Yeah, so as I was saying, HBase is what at that time was our master store. This is where not only the visitor uh, profiles called the Elastic Customer Record sat and was constantly being updated by our storm nodes, so where the streaming processing was happening. Um, it was also where we considered kind of the, the source of truth of all our data. So our page view data would also land in there. Uh, and HBase being a, a, a kind of a it's kind of branded NoSQL nowadays, um, database um, where you have you know, columns, column families and things like this. We could very quickly look up data, but it wasn't great for querying. So HBase served us great for problem A, which is great. We've got this data, how, but how can we actually serve it back out to the web so we can make these real-time decisions? Uh, and that worked for that. But what it didn't solve is, okay, I'm an analyst. Now I want to go and actually write some SQL on top of it to do some in, uh, to deliver some insights on top of this data. So we had to do a second process. So we actually have a system at the time that used to go into HBase and go out on a regular basis, extract the page data out and wrote it off to uh, high, well, in, into a data format that we could then use through Hive. And that's the interface we gave our analysts and ultimately our customers access to for querying their, their data and starting to find those insights. Because you know, if we go back to the original goal of Qubit, we want to give uh, customers insight into the data um, to then make the real-time decisions on for delivering different experiences uh, to their customers. So, so, so Alex, um, again, most people probably, some people, a lot of people wouldn't be aware of, I suppose, the technology that enables this really. And, and there's some kind of things you use like tags and, and universal kind of variables and so on there. Tell us a bit about how the data goes from uh, say the customers e-commerce sites into what you're doing what's the kind of what's the technology there and I suppose how do you handle the or how did you handle different types of data and different types of kind of like product information that might come in you know how, how does that kind of work yeah so we started out by um, using the data that was available to us on the page. So a lot of customers at this point in time had different sort of data layers and tag management systems and we would try and work off things like GA data and that kind of thing but there's a difference between a tag management data layer and experience delivery data layer. So tag management is very much focused on getting those high-level KPI metrics and dimensions for you to get uh, your, your high-level dashboards on. But for us to deliver a, customer a truly personalized customer experience, we need to know much more detail around things like what's in your bag, what have you been looking at, not only what did you purchase, but what size was it, what color was it. Um, if you're on travel, let's say, um, what destination fare class are you looking at? So it's a much more detailed insight for that, that customer. So over the time, we developed a specification called Universal Variable, um, which uh, sat as a data layer on the page. Um, it's a very structured um, JSON blob, effectively, which contained all the different data uh, points we need and want to use for targeting both experiences and uh, segmenting customers based upon it. So the way we actually collect the data in the first place, we had some JavaScript. Uh, we have a JavaScript tag that sits on the page for all our customers, which picks up not only what's in that data layer that you set up as part of onboarding with Qubit, but also uh, browser context. So this is where we start picking up 
things like the IP address to then go and grab the device location, uh, the the geolocation. We grab the user agent stream to do geo uh, device categorization and, and browser categorization on top of it. And then our, our code on page picks up the data and sends it off to our platform. Now, if we look at the way our platform works today, uh, we actually collect event level data. So we've we've moved on from page use, which we feel is kind of a uh, somewhat of a, a dated concept now in the world of apps and and single page applications and and native mobile systems and things out there into our event based model, which uh, we've dubbed Keep Critical. Uh, and this is how we receive data now. And uh, we, on, a, on an average day, receive about 100,000 uh, events a second coming through our, our pipeline. So this is the kind of scale we're, we're running at. Fantastic. I mean, so, so okay, and so this is the past. And so this is stuff that you did in the past and, and uh, you've moved on from. So tell us a bit about, uh, I suppose, what was the driver towards moving on to, to the Google Cloud platform? What were the kind of reasons behind it, first of all? Yeah, so in our last few years, we've been constantly evolving the platform. And if, if we look at kind of a middle step we did where we had page use sitting in the Hive cluster, we had we wanted to open up a kind of a BI offering, an analysis offering to our customers. And one of the things we did uh, quite early on is um, uh, develop a way of actually bringing the, those KPIs or those, those business and actually loading those into a data warehouse that was customer facing. And then you could plug a BI to and then Redshift, so we would actually take the page of data, run some aggregations on it to bring down the uh, signal-to-noise ratio, let's say, uh, and push the data into a Redshift cluster uh, in AWS, which then our customers would connect their BI tools, and, and we did sort of self-hosted Tableau and things like this inside of our platforms. The customers can use the, the, the analytics tools they're used to and have potentially in-house uh, kind of deep dive down on the data we've collected on their behalf and not only collected, but also enriched and made more valuable through the processing we do. Um, so that was kind of a stepping stone. And if you if you go back to kind of where, where we are as a business, what we want to do, after we collect all this data and we go through the different processing steps and the move, the move into Google, um, but ultimately what we want to do is actually do this kind of customer analytics, which is the idea. So we deliver new sort of key components in there. Um, first off, we have this raw event stream, but we actually want to make it uh, usable and, and actionable for our, our clients to then deliver this personalized experience to our customers. So uh, we have a whole segmentation engine which runs atop of all our data and uh, by using machine learning and, and things like machine translation and sentiment analysis on the, the quality of the feedback, we actually start mining the data for opportunities. And in order to do this, we need to actually have a data processing architecture which would work at scale and being able to do things like machine learning at scale. And this is where we kind of got involved involved with Google quite early on, and we were a launch partner of a few of their technologies, like Bigtable. And so we started investigating um, that, that stack a lot. And if you actually go back to when Google started releasing white papers about the, the next version of MapReduce, which at that time was called Millwheel, Millwheel uh, the one thing... Uh, that that the infrastructure uh, leaders I work with and the, the great engineers I can spend every day with at work, um, they kind of took that white paper and we started trying to build it ourselves. Um, now after kind of trying to build something Google be talking about after uh, about six months, then Google were actually uh, kind enough to release a product to the world, which uh, at the time was called uh, Cloud Dataflow, and this is what really got us hooked. And that that project has since been uh, gifted to the Apache organization as Apache Beam, and this is what our new part is now built on top of. Um, how much effort was involved in maintaining and uh, adminning and scaling the stuff you had on premise? I mean, how much was that a kind of driver really of moving in, into the cloud and say elastic sort of setups really? Yeah, uh, the, the, the phrase I've been using recently is, uh, it, it, you know, it's 2017 now, we shouldn't have to be worrying about RAID configurations. 
um, to manage your data warehouse, which ultimately is actually still reality uh, for, for a lot of people out there. And we've actually made a conscious effort to move away from that. And what I actually mean is when we were running these hundreds and hundreds of BMF servers, we had a whole infra team spun up and they were you know, day in, day out trying to uh, maintain these systems and make sure that the disks were alive. And when you're running at that sort of scale, you know, things like disks do die. Um, you know, when you had the number we had and we were talking you know petabytes of data we were storing so hundreds of machines with petabyte uh, petabytes of disks things are bound to go wrong so you know i wouldn't say it's a constant headache but it's just one of those maintenance things that you gotta just be ready for when you're running at this all the data we were collecting in the systems we were running um so we were, kind of wanted to get away from that because our business value is actually building the systems which allow our customers to deliver uh, different customer experiences and personalized customer experiences um, through segmentation and through marketing automation and things like this. So we wanted to focus on that and and the qubit, you know, secret source is actually in the logic and the processing we do and the machine learning we do on top of the finance data, not on maintaining disks in our data warehouse. Uh, in our data warehouse. Um, so that's a problem we, we, we had in the past few years. We've now fully moved off that. We don't manage a single dedicated instance anywhere in the world, I'm, I'm pleased to say. Mm. I mean, I suppose culturally it must be quite interesting because as engineers, a lot of the kind of value we place in ourselves is in our knowledge of, of the infrastructure and that sort of thing. But to kind of, to, in a way, to kind of to hand that all off to somebody else and, and then to kind of to focus on the things that add value, it makes sense logically. But I mean, culturally, how, how did, before we get into detail again of the Google stuff, how did, how did it come across to people in terms of changing how we do things and how you deliver things? I mean, what, what, how did that kind of go down really within, within Qubit? So... One thing we invested in early on is this concept of a cloud native and cloud native APIs. So we kind of took the very early opinion that, you know, we will we're more than happy to let a, a infrastructure provider or, or a cloud provider out there run the basics. So things like network, compute, storage. You know, these are the kind of the core principles of any system we're building, and you know, we're happily effectively to outsource that. We're happy to run on top of the cloud platform because you know these companies are vested in running the best network or the best compute infrastructure out there. Um, and we, you know, I want to focus on the value driving part of our customers and not have to worry about, you know, disks and servers and things like this. Um, but culturally, it's actually allowed us to iterate a, a lot, lot faster. So, you know, a project that we originally spec'd out for taking, you know, six months um, because we had to consider things like the infrastructure, the servers, machines, the networking, all this kind of um, gubbins that goes with the project. It was completely eliminated and we actually ended up shipping a product. We ended up shipping a product in six weeks. Um, because we didn't have to worry about the infrastructure. The data was just there. It was available to us. We could you know, route it to the systems we needed without having to worry about the underlying infrastructure, things like this. And, and that mindset has allowed us as a, a whole business to move and, and, uh, much faster and our kind of engineering efficiency is much more increased because we don't have to worry about things like infrastructure. So let's get back in. Let's go actually into the platform a little bit, a little bit more detail about how you use the Google technology um, so, BigQuery, tell us about that and what it does and, and how it works. Yeah. So, BigQuery's actually been around for about six years or so as a, a Google service, but only in the recent years has it really kind of taken off and been integrated in the Google Cloud Platform. And you know, every year, we pretty much rebuild our data pipeline, and we're very much a hybrid cloud in that sense. So, you know, we're very happy to chop and change components out based on what are the best, the best at the moment in time. For example, that's why we used, you know, Redshift at one point for our data warehouse. We've now moved over to using BigQuery because we always want to evolve onto the next best platform. And you know, if you compare something like Redshift, which is traditional kind of data warehouse and BigQuery. Um, BigQuery is, is much is a managed service. You don't, we're not provisioning instances. We don't have to maintain, again, machines and CPUs underneath. 
to to us and to our applications and to our users. BigQuery is this big instant, uh, this big sort of managed service. We don't worry about the machines. We don't worry about the way the data is stored or anything like this. Um, so we um, actually stream the data directly into our BigQuery tables. So um, we have our whole data processing up front, which I'm sure we'll go into. Um, so we collect data. We go through various processing steps, and ultimately, we stream that data straight into Google BigQuery. And we do all sorts of uh, partitioning and, and provisioning around it to ensure our clients are fully isolated. Um, we, we ensure that you know EU customers' data always remains in the EU in compliance with all the uh, data protection regulations. Um, and BigQuery just scales. We don't have to kind of worry about it. We don't have to worry about provisioning it. We don't need to worry about you know flagging that we're about to have our peak traffic. It, it, it just takes the data in and allows us to, more importantly, stream in the data. So we talked about latency earlier, how we've gone from 24 hours down to four hours. Now, what this Google pipeline has allowed us to do and, and the new Visitor Cloud, which you know uses a mix of technologies, um, has allowed us to get our end-to-end pipeline down to around five seconds. So that's from an event happening on any of the device, anywhere our clients, anywhere in the world, into our pipeline, go through all our processes steps, streamed into Google BigQuery, and... Uh, made available for use in analysis, made use available uh, for our different parts of our application because all the, the customer-facing uh, parts of our app actually drive off the data we've collected um, within five seconds of that event happening. So we have low latency uh, data, which is, is a hard requirement if you want to do real-time personalization. And we now have that pipeline up running and we've been running it for about 18 months uh, for our entire customer base, collecting and processing. Okay. Okay. So take us through this pipeline then. Take us through the te- what happens in the technology you're using, really, and, and how that scales up and how it works and so on. So particularly, uh, you know, cloud-based flow. Yeah. Yeah. So we still have a suite of uh, front-end machines, uh, front-end receiving services, um, which collect data again from all of our client sites, like we always have done. So we, there's uh, the events being emitted off the page, so a view, a transaction, an entrance. When you add an item to your basket, those kind of things get added to our, our system. Also, the actual application that runs in browser that delivers experiences. So a marketer goes and set up a campaign that targets, their, say, their VIP shoppers. Um, that campaign will trigger, and we actually get data back through our system, which is then used by our stats model to uh, determine whether that's a you know, significant uplift in conversion or revenue or whatever the target is going to be based on our stats model. So that, that data comes into our front-end system and then goes through this series of, of data flows uh, and processing steps. The, the very first step we do is actually a, a validation phase. So we check the data that comes in, that it conforms to our data specification, and we have ensure it has the correct book shape, structure, type, you know, typical validation phases. And at that point, we then pass it off. And between each of these steps, we have uh, a queue. So currently, we're using Cloud uh, PubSub, which is Google's uh, queuing system. Historically, we use Kafka, which is still very popular. Um, and then it goes on to the next phase of enrichment. So we take the data and we look at it and we enrich it with some visitor context information or, or data that we have about the users. So things like um, looking up the location and adding into the event based on the IP address. We go and grab details such as the user's lifetime value, maybe their number of historical transactions, maybe their purchase cycle number. So we pick up this data and write it into the events as they, as they come in and, and, and kind of stream through the system. Uh, one very important one when it comes to the analytics side of things, which you know is, is your focus, is whenever we see a currency coming through the pipeline, um, we have for every client set up what their base or their reporting currency is. And you know, it's very typical for all of our clients to have multiple region sites with multiple currencies. So we'll take 
the currencies as they come through and we'll, conv we'll convert them to a base currency for that particular client. That way, if they're trying to do reporting across their different sites and different domains and different countries and different currencies, there's that standardized consistent currency value across any currency we receive. So it's those kind of uh, additive functions we do in this processing step to make the data more usable and actionable. So, so now, oh, oh, there's more. Brilliant. Carry on. <laughs> Excellent. Carry on. Yeah. There's a couple more phases. Yeah. Um, after that, we then have this kind of fan-up process, and the data goes multiple directions into multiple different systems depending on what uh, we want to deliver. So the first step it goes off is to our segmentation engine. So one of the key parts of our platform is our segments system, which uh, picks up data and, and looks at visitors' behavior, and based on a marketer-configurable segmentation rule, segment users into, say, VIPs and yeah, are in London. So the rules would be, okay, this person's lifetime value is over X, they are within X miles of this particular store, and they're on a mobile, and they are currently looking at a category page. You can get quite detailed segment information. Mm -hmm. And that data comes through through our segmentation engine, and the output of that is different segments for that particular user. We also do some aggregations on the data. So we, we do things like sum up their life, their transactions. We um, pick up their number of sessions, our entrances, their last location, things like this. And we write the data off to a very fast lookup store, which we then use back in browser for delivering experiences. And then finally, we stream the data into Google BigQuery. And all of these steps are, are done through uh, currently through cloud data flows, um, which gives us this very low latency processing across the data. So presumably you had thousands of developers building this for you. I mean, so so we're working with BigQuery. Sorry, we're working with Cloud Dataflow. I mean, was it was it kind of you know lots of people developing this? Was it was it kind of one person? I mean, how how big a development effort was this, and and what was the development environment like? I suppose really for for this product. Yeah, so our core pipeline is built by our platforms team, so the team I work with, and that is uh, currently about ten engineers. Um, so very small small team, but thanks to uh, you know, the, firstly the great engineers we, we hire here at Qubit, but also the development uh, platform that um, Google have made available, things like Cloud Dataflow, and also we've spent a lot of time investing in the right tooling and frameworks. So we have a, a kind of a standardized way of doing certain processing steps within Qubit, and it kind of goes back to how the idea with the cloud platform is it should get out of your way and you focus on your business values. So even in our code, we make sure that you know the qubit layer is very clear on top of the underlying SDK and the underlying environment that we're running in. Uh, that way it gives us our portability because ultimately we are always going to be a, a hybrid cloud and we'll always jump between different clouds as different offerings come along. Um, so one focuses us is that we can be very portable with the kind of environments that we want to execute on. So, so, so with cloud data flow, I mean, obviously that's now matured into Apache Beam and so on. There, and one of one of the kind of features of that is kind of out of order execution. And and and, and tell us a bit about, I suppose, what is what is different about working with Apache Beam that is different to things before. And and again, why was that kind of useful for what you're doing here, really? Yeah. So we uh, we, we we kind of had this problem where data can arrive at any time. We have. Um, systems and logic in the browsers, which allows us to kind of capture data and cache it locally in the browser for a period of time um, before sending it off to our system. So this may be if the user goes offline or maybe they've got a bad connection or maybe you know, our front-end servers are scaling up, things like this, there are times where that data won't get through. So we have systems pick up the data and send it off um, when there is an active connection available to us. So this piece data can arrive at absolutely any time. You know, we regularly see data coming in weeks after it was originally emitted. Um, so inside the data, we stamp the time it arrives, but also stamp the time it was uh, emitted in the first place. 
And uh, as you're saying, so Dataflow in Apache Beam now uh, um, has this concept of, sort of late data arrival and out of order data execution, which is really important for us because we want to make sure the data is available in the right order and processed in, in such a way for our downstream systems because particularly with segmentation, ordering is very important because you don't want to you know, throw someone out of a segment, put them in a segment and then have some late data arrive and put it in, sort of in a different place. Um, so this kind of this kind of thing is actually really quite hard. And when we were reading the, the white papers, the Millwall white papers and trying to you know, figure out this ourselves, we went through numerous iterations, trying to use like Storm back in the day and you know kind of a Lambda-based architecture as well. Um, it was a tricky problem to solve. And this is something that Dataflow makes really simple. You, when you define your your flow, um, you go through and you say, how do you want to handle late data? We can say, actually emit it when it arrives or may emit it within a certain time frame or maybe emit it on a side output. Um, so it's these kind of configurations that you set up when you set up your processing, which allow and just handle this kind of late data. And things like watermarks are crucial for streaming data processing. So knowing exactly where you are, when is data considered late and this kind of thing, that data flow kind of just takes away from from you and kind of just deals with and you focus on delivering your actual application logic and your business value on top of the underlying infrastructure in this case, which is the Dataflow or the Apache Beam execution engine. So, so Alex, you, you mentioned uh, about PubSub there as part of the architecture, and you said earlier on that you used Kafka um, in the, an earlier iteration of the architecture you were working with. So just tell us about what PubSub is and, and the role it did and how it differs to Kafka from what you're doing. Yeah, so queues are very important when it comes to kind of large-scale data processing. It effectively acts as our buffer uh, between all our different processing steps. So if we need to take a, a component offline to do some maintenance or maybe upgrade a, a release, uh, we need to be able to effectively stop processing. And when we stop processing, we also don't want to drop the data on the floor. So this is where the queues come in as, as that kind of holding ground, that buffer between the different processing steps, which allow us to do uh, this kind of work uh, on a pipeline that is constantly live and constantly streaming. So uh, PubSub is what we use for that now, and, and in a previous version of Pipeline, a previous iteration, we were using Kafka. They effectively do the same thing in terms of what an application uh, would use it for, but there's some sort of differences. So Kafka um, is an open source package. Package, you get it, you go and provision a Kafka cluster. Um, we had numerous machines dotted all across our data centers and we were mirroring queues between them for various different work processes. Um, you have to have like a zookeeper cluster to make sure the machines are all in, in sync and things like this, um, which goes back to our original problem of we're running hardware, we have to maintain these things, the disks die, you know, there's potential data loss, blah, 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 which we wanted to get away from and wanted to move towards uh, a managed service because we don't want to focus on maintaining maintaining our Kafka machines, we want to focus on building our application logic. So PubSub is, uh, comes in now, and this is a nice fit with everything else we're doing. It happens to be a Google Cloud offering. Uh, we wouldn't necessarily use it but uh, uh, if we were using another platform, but, but because it's nicely integrated with Google Cloud, it works great for what we're doing and kind of handles the scale um, that we're running at. So PubSub does exactly that. Uh, what Kafka did is our, it's our sort of staging ground between our different uh, processing steps. It's the between them and the nice thing about PubSub is it's completely managed service and it's this geo-replicated highly available uh, queuing system which means we can push data in a, from any point in the world and it will appear very quickly at any other point in the world wherever we want to do our processing um, so Kafka and PubSub are very kind of similar for that but the advantage of PubSub is it's managed for us we don't have to worry about things like uh, uh, um, the machines you don't have to worry about whether they have core and we don't have to worry about you know, data retention in them. It's a, it's a managed service. It's abstracted away from us. All we care about is writing our 
graphs, which you can see in the data it provides us. So it's a great system for, for what we need it for. So all this data arrives in real time into um, what you call Visitor Cloud. How do end users access this data? How do your applications work with it? And uh, how do, I suppose, BI tools and analytics tools get access to the data as well? Yeah, so the Cuba platform uh, is is a is a web app. Um, our, our clients and our marketers will log in and they will start uh, going through different parts of our platform. And all across this this platform, there's different points where data is used. So, um, if you start off with our segmentation tool, you can go through and start defining different segments of users. As I was saying earlier, we can define different rules and logic for when people will be in and out of those segments. And under the hood, we're examining the event stream. We are um, sampling that data to give a, a kind of real time feedback to the number of people that would be in that segment to our to uh, the people using our platform um, we have opportunity mining so our opportunity mining system is a machine learning based uh, system which actually mines through all of our, our client data and starts identifying segments of users which are uh, of interest or have the highest revenue potentials so for example maybe there's a portion of traffic that may be coming from a different country or particular category which is outperforming the, the standard conversion rate on the website and this is actually a high value a section of traffic to you or maybe it's an underperforming segment of traffic to you saying 100 grand of lost revenue for people uh, coming to the site from Canada let's say so this is an idea to get some insight into the large amount of data and underneath this this like the hood our opportunity mining system actually reads the data out of BigQuery and starts mining it um, or, or, you know, on a kind of an hourly basis to start identifying these new opportunities to you so data is made available that way inside of the experiences part of our platform when you go in and actually build your different experiences or maybe you want to set up product recs uh, experience for different customers this data is being sourced uh, from big ground underneath and things like our experience statistics uh, system which goes through and grabs the data from the the pipeline of users that saw variation a versus variation b and goes through our stats model it um, underneath the hood it's using the same data architecture that we built and it's sampling data uh, from BigQuery or maybe pulling data from the live event stream so there's various different parts of our platform uh, inside our 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 interface, which are using is using the data we've collected and processed through this architecture, um, but the one that uh, is kind of the the latest uh, product from us, which is uh, Qubit LiveTap, which is the way that clients can actually get access to the full, rich data set that we have saved them in. in in the data warehouse and then allows them to go and connect their own BI tools into a, a Tableau or a Looker or basically any other uh, system out, uh, BI system out there or, or data system out there that can talk to the data warehouse. They get this full width access to the data underneath and start driving their own insights and start building their own dashboards around it to, again, empower the market to, to deliver the best customer experience for their, their users. And, and best, in full disclosure, it's probably anyone's guess probably that's the area I've been working with with, with, with Alex on it <laughs> and Qubit. So that's kind of a separate story and so on, really. So, I mean, it, it's it's kind of, it's, it's a very interesting story, really, for me. And I think the fact that you've gone from, from I suppose, from cloud to on-premise to, to cloud again is, is, is very interesting there. And, I mean, one question, I suppose, to you, Alex, if you started again with a small set of data, would you kind of start with on-premise, first of all, or would you go to the cloud straight away? I mean, what, what would your kind of view, view on that be, really? I would always go straight to cloud because, um, you know, we're all hoping that one day our, our idea will flourish and be a successful startup and you just want to be able to scale up on demand. Um, so you know, we built our business around these kind of core components core, this core processing data pipeline and this pipeline has been built from the ground up to be able to scale uh, on demand as we collect more and more data for our customers and, you know, every. Uh, you know, year on year, we're growing the volumes and depth and detail of the data we're collecting. Um, so I'd always uh, advise anyone to, if you haven't already, start looking at a cloud. Um, and definitely don't don't 
put too much time, let's say, into considering a, a self-hosted in-house option. But you know, there's obviously some businesses and some some uh, industries that have, have uh, requirements around doing that kind of thing. Um, but uh, if you want low-level, fast data processing that can scale, I would highly recommend going directly to cloud. Yeah, and, and just to kind of, I suppose, it's something you haven't mentioned, but actually I think is very impressive is that I suppose in a way the opera, the operationalization of, of Google Cloud that you've been doing as well. So, so t- I mean, just very briefly, tell us how many how many customers are running on 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 Google Cloud that you're responsible for, and what have you done around the kind of the platform to automate some of that and the provisioning and so on? Yeah, so we do something kind of weird where we run a cloud platform as a service for our customers. Um, so we're collecting data from uh, about 1,500 different uh, sites and apps out there um, from hundreds of different customers. And for each one of those customers, we actually spin up a whole uh, cloud project for them. So it's a full instance. It's got all the bells and whistles attached. Um, we go in and the, kind of the first place we, we set up for customers is we go and enable uh, the BigQuery instance in that particular uh, project for them. Um, and that, that project is then granted access to our, our data. So when we pick up and process data, um, it's streamed into uh, the client's own Google Cloud project. And the advantage of that is fully isolated, it's fully locked down, and because we're running in, inside of this very secure uh, system where we can do provisioning properly and you know, cross-project permissioning, things like this, um, we, we run and maintain hundreds of Google Cloud projects, one for every single customer, with all these different features enabled based on you know, what parts of the platform they're using with us. Um, and not only does it give the strong isolation, but it also allows us to, going back to the cloud API initiative that we uh, have been pushing, it means that the, all the existing tools and systems out there just connect and work. We're not writing, we're not having to write you know, bespoke qubit connectors for every single platform out under the sun. Um, if you have something that can talk to JBC, JBDC, it can talk to Google BigQuery and start creating the data through our LiveTap offering. Um, so we built a lot of tooling, we built a lot of frameworks, we built a lot of systems to kind of automate the deployment and, and setup of these cloud projects and all the permissioning work and we're building lots of more features into our platform to kind of open up that more and more to customers so things like making a storage buckets available with data in or maybe using that as a mechanism to transfer the data and our most kind of advanced offering at the moment is we can set up a puzzle stream of particular uh, data be it the full fire hose or maybe certain inter- events of interest for clients to then start building their applications again so you know what one example is uh, taking all the transactions and product views and using that to run against your own product recommendations model and then streaming that results of that model back into us to then and serve out through different experiences. These are the kind of offerings that is, we, we have out there for our clients, and it's all driven off this core data pipeline we built, and which takes full advantage of the different uh, APIs and managed services out there uh, for our customers to use. That's fantastic. I mean, as I say, I mean, just to kind of round this off, really, I mean, I think the interesting story in this is is what it's what it's like to see big data and this stuff done at scale, but really kind of in a mature way over several, several years. And um, I mean, just just again, just as interesting for anyone listening to this, I had to sit through you talking to this in my interview with you. With Qubit when I was there, and then you asked me to comment on it, you know, and, and and my reaction at the time was, this is like walking ten years into the future, and I think it's it's kind of very interesting. I think for for those of us who came from maybe a consulting background, who are more used to kind of I suppose more like POC type projects and very much kind of you know on premise to see what's being done there in the cloud, see it being done at scale, and and being done in a way that again you know looking at the way the Qubit works in the application, most customers wouldn't be aware of the stuff that's going on here. It just works at scale reliably and so on really, and you know I think. It's 
it's interesting. I mean, you're being very kind of, uh, you know, uh, humble, really, Alex, in this. But yeah, a lot of this stuff you architected and built yourself and so on, really, as well. And you are the kind of thinking behind this. And I think it's a testament to what you've done. It's a testament to the platform as well, that, that it can get this stuff done and it works so well, really. Um, so it's uh, yeah, a very interesting story there, really, Alex. And, and thank you very much for, for coming on the show and talking about it. Of course. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. And just to kind of round it up, we're going to put the, the show notes onto the uh, onto the website for this. And also there's a video as well, Alex, as well, of you at the Google Next event last year that we're talking about this with Google. Is that yep. correct? Uh, that's correct. So I'll go into kind of a lot more detail around around this infrastructure and uh, talk a bit more around the Google-specific uh, components we're using. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. So I'll put a link to that as well on there as well. So Alex, thank you very much for coming on and uh, and, and have a good evening and thank you very much. Thank you very much. Great